Well, today, trying to plan a, a message for the 4th of July, I, I discovered that where we're at in the scriptures is typically the best place. It's where we're at. And uh, the message um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, on being imitators of Jesus. Really, that's the answer for our country. It's not a physical answer. We don't fight with flesh and blood. We fight against principalities. And the only way to bring down uh, the lies that are contrary to God and his truth is by pulling down those strongholds with spiritual weapons. So, Lord, speak to us now through your word. Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you all the things your spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Chapter 5, verse 1 starts out with a therefore. And when we see a therefore, we always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And it's always referring to what it just said. In other words, keep in mind what I just said to you as we go into the next thought. So Paul had just said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. So imitate the kindness of God. Imitate the tender-heartedness of God. Imitate the forgiving heart of God. Imitate how God has loved us. Love the way Jesus has loved. And so be imitators. You know, the word imitators is the word mimetis. We get our word mime from it. So I think mimes are a little creepy myself, but... Um, the, the idea there is, is, you know, when you have little tiny kids, you know, when they're getting close to junior high, they won't play along anymore. But when you have little kids, you know, everybody raise their hands. All the kids are excited to raise their hands. All the little kids, you say, clap your hands. All the kids are, you know, tell all the little kids, let's march. They're ready to march. And then they get, you know, 10, 11, 12, and now they feel silly, you know, miming, copying uh, people. The Lord does tell us to be converted and to become his children, not in simplicity uh, or ignorance, but just in this one way, to, to follow the example of Jesus in just a tender-hearted, simple way. And you'll find that following his example will bring life and peace and joy to us. And so when I think about the nature of God, I, I think of somebody who's unique. And he's unique in a way of living, he's unique in the way of thinking. And so often our human fallen sinful nature has a set way we pretty much all think, right? Somebody cuts us off on the freeway, we know what we're gonna do. We're gonna let him know his, our disapproval and everybody behind me is disapproving also. You know, as a gang, uh, we don't like this kind of behavior on the freeway or, you know. We have a knee-jerk reaction, but yet as we follow Jesus' life in the gospel, he continually surprises us. And it's in Christ 
that we see this unique nature of God to follow. The Lord of God's one Lord, but yet he's in three persons. And the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, gave us the example of God to follow. Matter of fact, in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. What glory? God's glory. The only glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 14.9, He said to Philip, uh, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, there's only one God. There's only one nature of God. And even though there's three persons in the Godhead, then one nature is the same. And so if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the exact nature of God the Father. And I might also add God the Holy Spirit as well. Because the Lord our God is only one Lord. We only have one God. And all three persons act, have the same character, the same way of being. As we study the Gospels, we learn that nature of God through His Son, Jesus. And it's so often the opposite of what we would have thought. But boy, we, we love Jesus' example. He touches the leper when everybody else throws rocks at him and shoes him away. Jesus comes near to the leper. And a man, a woman who has not been touched in decades probably because of their disease, the Lord touched them. And we know the power of a touch. The woman caught in an act of adultery, Jesus doesn't condemn her and says, go and sin no more. He didn't approve of her sin, but he didn't condemn her either. And what do we do? We cheer in our hearts because I am a sinner. I'm worthy to be stoned to death if stones are going to start flying. And so we, we start looking at Jesus' example and we like this guy. <laughs> we really come to find that this guy is one cool dude. He's interesting. We find that he's not a critical, fault-finding, judgmental person. Quite the opposite. We like that about him. We see that he eats with tax collectors and sinners, the pimps and the prostitutes and the guy who owns the adult bookstore Jesus sets a table with these guys and often at the end of that meal they would say what do I do to follow you how do I become a per person that's pleasing to God just by having a meal to with them we cheer that the other religious elites would wouldn't want to be associated with such people because that would make their rap look bad you're bringing me down by being near me. Stay away from me. I don't want people to find me guilty by association. And Jesus is saying, I associate with these people. Now, let's make a distinction. He hung out with his apostles. He didn't hang out with the tax collectors and sinners. He ate with them. He was there to minister to them. But his close comrades were those who wanted the will of the Father, as Jesus did, his apostles and his followers. Jesus wasn't irritated by the interruption of children. Jesus was so gentle with everybody, but yet we're shocked and surprised, but not once, but twice he made a whip 
and he turned over money changing tables. What a mess. He, he whipped and he drove people out who had merchandise and were making a spectacle of the temple, his father's house, making it this swap meet rather than a place of prayer. He surprised us. Jesus was considered a Jewish rabbi, but yet almost all of the religious community hated him and felt that he wasn't worthy to be considered to be a rabbi because he hadn't been educated in their colleges and hadn't gone through their tutelage. We like Jesus. We admire Jesus. And hopefully we'll eventually come to love Jesus. But it's not something that's being forced down our throats that we're being forced to do. Like in some religious catechism. Follow Jesus' example. Now, number one, be holy. Number two, be holier. Number three, you're still not holy enough. Catechism Step one, you failed. Go back. Start at the beginning. He's not saying follow Jesus like a bunch of religious cadets. But as dear children. People that admire him, appreciate him, are surprised by him but like it. And then eventually... We are revealed that he indeed is the Son of God, the Messiah. And he paid for our sins on the cross and rose again, conquering our death. And by him raising again, he can now give us eternal life. And we love him. We're not being forced to be followers of Jesus. But because he's been so kind to us, so tender-hearted, towards us so forgiving when we are such sinners strugglers fellow people <laughs> that are trying to be holy as God is holy while in these sinful bodies we find a constant patience and kindness and gentleness and love towards us we only find one description of Jesus that doesn't tell us the color of his skin it doesn't tell us what he sort of looked like, how tall he was. Only one description. It comes in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls for your yoke for my yoke is easy and my burden is light when we come to hear jesus talking about religion we're not afraid we're comforted when we hear jesus talking about god being holy we don't feel ashamed and like a failure we feel strengthened and we feel like we can just rest at his feet like a sheep would next to a shepherd. He shared some heavy truths. 
but yet we don't feel hopeless. We feel encouraged and we have hope when we hear him talking. So whatever the picture of Jesus, whatever the color of his skin or his hairstyle or the robe or the type of sandal, whatever that picture is, it should say rest. It should show peace. It should show his followers like the sheep next to a shepherd. It should show people at peace, happy, joyful, restful, comforted around Jesus. That's the one thing that we do know for sure about him. That his yoke, even though it was big, a yoke was a big giant block of wood you would put on the back of an oxen. So when you pulled on the reins, the block of wood would be heavy enough to cause the ox to respond and obey. It, the oxen's big old neck is not like a horse's neck, right? And so Jesus says, yes, there's a yoke. But my yoke is easy and light. Yes, we've got to deny ourselves in order to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Yes, we've got to crucify our flesh with his passions and desires to walk in Jesus' passions and his desires. But yet, by his grace, by the power of his spirit, by knowing there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, by knowing that the righteous man falls seven times and gets up seven times because he has hope and peace in believing. Yes, we come to say as dear children, I find rest in no other place except when I do follow his example. I don't find myself fruitful unless I'm following his example. I don't find my own soul not being condemned, but feeling accepted and at peace when I'm following him. So come to Jesus. How do I follow Jesus? Just come to him. Learn of him. Until you have discovered the truth about him, He's lowly and gentle of heart. And if you truly know the right Jesus, you will find a peace for your souls. Well, we know it's not going to look religious because Jesus didn't look religious. We know it's not going to be condemning because Jesus wasn't condemning. We know it's not going to say, you, you, and you, stay away. You stink from your leprosy. You, you smell of your adultery. You, you're not acceptable because you, you're a tax collector. You're a sinner. We, we don't want those kind of people around me. Jesus does the opposite, doesn't he? We find that those who are truly following Jesus and those who fill up the spaces around him by 70 and then 500 are people that typically weren't accepted by the religious community. But they were the exact people Jesus loved to follow him. Look at your calling, brother. Not many noble, not many mighty, not many strong according to our flesh. 
But God's chosen the weak and the base things of this world to be his children. When I hear this follow Jesus, I don't go like, oh, man, now it's getting hard. Those first three chapters you taught, Brian, on grace and love and how we can be secure in our salvation. That was great. Why did you have to get Ephesians 4? Because now I'm getting bogged down. Now I'm getting bummed out. Now I'm feeling like a failure. Well, we've been all the way through chapter 4. and Nobody felt that way. Now we're heading into chapter 5. And I don't think we feel that way again. <laughs> I think once again, we, we find ourselves jumping up and down. I can do that. I want to follow Jesus. The closer I'm near people that don't condemn, the more I want to be next to those kind of people. When I'm around guys that are comforting and, and I find a rest for my souls, that's the guys I want to come to my party. Those are the guys I want to be around. Yeah, following Jesus, man, that's it's not a heavy commandment. Does anybody feel like, oh my goodness, i got to follow Jesus. This is so difficult. <laughs> or is following Jesus this joyful, wonderful place, this refuge? We see the nature of Jesus in Romans 12, 17, where Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that exactly what we saw in Christ? Why Jesus is hanging on that cross. He says to the guy who nailed him there, he says to all the Pharisees that are mocking him, to the Roman who shoves a spear into his side, what is he saying? I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I made a hell for exactly guys like you. I'll tell you, I'm going to have the last laugh because I'm coming back and it's going to be woe on you. That's what we would have done. <laughs> and had we, had Jesus said that, we, you know, we would have gone, yeah. All right. Get him. That's our human flesh. But what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, except him and him and him. Not, not that guy over there either. Not the Pharisees. Not this Roman who just nailed me on here. That hurt. But to a good percentage of these people, forgive them. Now, that's not what he said, is it? Father, forgive them all. Don't hold this crucifixion and their rejection of the Messiah and, and ripping all my clothes off and making me feel ashamed. Don't, don't hold it to them. They have no idea what they're doing. Isn't that amazing? Once again, in Jesus' last handful of sentences, he surprises us. And he shows us probably more clearly than ever what it is to follow him. As a matter of fact, it says that in the very next verse. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love. 
You know, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it starts out this way. Love suffers long, or love is patient, or love is a, a, a continuance, an endurance. Love is this enduring thing. It's this nonstop thing. And in what way? It is kind. It's just nonstop being kind. And then it ends by saying, that kind of love that endures being kind will never fail. You see, we, we have really been hindered by Satan <laughs> in the most subtle way. Very, very few people caught it. And that is, in our Hollywood movie TV stage, we have all been discipled by the evil one that love is a filling. And Hollywood will, you know, make all the music as if it's really happening. You know, some guy out in the woods with some girl as if there's an entire orchestra really playing. And, and they're, they're right next to these horses and you don't smell horses pooping on the ground and making a mess of things. And if the leaves aren't blowing, they got a big giant blowing machine to make sure the leaves are blowing just right. They create to us this feeling where this guy's looking at it or we feel it. Oh, love, I love that feeling, love. I love the love, I love love. I love the feelings of love. Oh, I just want to stay right here with these wonderful feelings of love. And it doesn't exist, right? Only as they create it in this fairy tale world where the prince scoops up the maid. <laughs> the mistreated person hiding in the woods is the one that the prince comes and eventually she gets to live in a castle. This is, it's done us wrong. Because when we really understand love, love is the greatest when we're not feeling it. Love is the greatest when the person we're loving is your enemy. <laughs> And hates you and is doing wrong to you. Was Jesus' love on the cross the greatest when he told his mother Mary, looked at John and said, John, take care of Mary? Was, was that a great moment of love? Oldest son making sure that his mom's taken care of when he's getting ready to die? Or was it when he forgave those Pharisees who did this crooked trial, this Roman soldier that just nailed him on there, was it, greater, was it a greater love when he forgave them? You see, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Even the biggest sinner, even Hitler can do that. <laughs> even Charles Manson can do that. I'm sure Ted Bundy loved his own mother. The wickedest of people can be kind to those who are being kind to them. It takes no effort. It's, just, it's, a, it's an automatic response. I'm walking in the grocery store and somebody says, oh, I'm sorry, let me move out of the way. I, I don't even think about it. I say, oh, thank you very much. Oh, I'm kind. Oh, I'm such a kind person. I thank that person for getting out of my way. 
I'm amazing. My character of being kind is just amazing. Or when you're getting ready to get into a parking spot and the whole place is filled and some guy blocks you and another guy comes and whips into that parking place. And you've been driving around for a half an hour trying to find one. You found one. Your blinker was clearly on. It was clearly you've been waiting there the longest. This was your parking place and somebody else took it. Now can you be kind? It wouldn't it be greater you being kind at that point than in the grocery store? Do we understand that loving as Jesus is loving, Jesus' greatest loving moments weren't with his apostles, weren't when he was hugging little kids, <laughs> wasn't when he was sitting around a fire with his buddies laughing. I'm sure they felt love, but those weren't Jesus' greatest loving moments. Jesus' greatest loving moments is when they were trying to kill him, when they were whipping him, when they were beating him. And he's praying for them and loving on them. Nails through his hands, nails through his feet, can barely breathe. And, and barely wanting to not speak while I'm trying to get a breath. I don't want to use my moments of getting air with talking but yet he's so loved he took those moments to, that it was his opportunity to suck down some air and instead he spoke seven times what disservice it's done in the marriage to think oh i've got to have this loving romance in my marriage or I need to dump that person and go find somebody who has I can get that loving romance with as if it's really going to be there with the next person and as if it's going to be there for decades no love love is an action that most of the time doesn't have feelings but those moments that our feelings are there it's wonderful isn't it but if you tried to create a life on those moments of feelings of love you will destroy your life won't you but if you make the choice to love when you don't feel loving and when they're unlovely and when they're unkind and mean and hateful and the worst of our human nature comes out and in that time you follow Jesus example and you're kind to them you're loving to them even more so there's no condemnation because there's no condemnation in Christ more so even when you're creating an atmosphere where they're feeling rest for their souls and there they see you being lowly and gentle of heart when you should be angry and and screaming at them and frustrated with them and nagging at them quite the opposites happening so jesus example and teachings both are unique in love we know the passage well in matthew 5 don't we love your enemies bless those who curse you do good to those who hate you pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven Jesus is going to say in John, these are new commandments I give to you. Those are the ones to follow. The Old Testament laws, 
They're all fulfilled in this one phrase, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you can tag a second one onto that, love your neighbor as yourself. You got that? Okay, now forget about the Old Testament. New Testament. New commandments I give to you. Okay, load us up. Love your enemy. Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them to drink. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Boy, that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? His example is so, and his teachings were so. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, it says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, that is, like-minded with Jesus, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And here it is. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Don't scratch that out of your Bible, okay? Leave it there. Let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Here's this mind of Christ. See, everybody is more important than yourself. Isn't that what Jesus did? He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to make myself the lowliest of servants on the earth. There's nobody that I don't serve. This is exactly how Christ loved us and brought us eternal life, isn't it? In Romans 5, verse 6 through 8, he saw himself, he saw all of us better than himself. He didn't look out for his interest, but he looked out for our interest. What happened in that? In Romans 5, 6 through 8, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly, not the lovely. Not the top 10% of good people. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. He even says this in chapter 5, verse 10, or in Romans 5, 10. He says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Jesus saw us better than himself. He saw our interest before his interest. Jesus put our well-being first above his well-being when we were still his enemies, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we were completely unworthy of such a wonderful Savior. And what did he do? He offered his own life as a sin offering to the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, notice what he did, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do we get this? Jesus finding himself as God in human flesh. He humbled himself to be the servant of all men. Nobody was beneath him. Everybody was above him. 
And he didn't just serve them by making campfires and cooking the food and washing the pots. He didn't just serve them by staying up late to listen to their woes and praying for them and healing them. He continued to serve man until eventually it cost him a torture, a horrible, torturous death on the cross. But yet he conquered death that we might have life. John 3.16 says, For God so what? Loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. So let us walk in love as Christ has loved us. Be imitators of God as dear children. What do we see God here in John 3.16? Let's imitate God. He loved who? The world. The ungodly. The sinners. The enemies. The worst of the worst. And he gave his only begotten son. Now whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. What did God do? He made it completely simple. God says, I I want man to be holy. I want man to be right with me. I want man to be fruitful. I want man to be kind and loving and and not condemning or fault-finding or critical. I, I want man to be the best he can be, which is just a being full of love without selfishness and self-seeking and self-interest. But, but out of his own heart, not out of a commandment, ah, oh, I got to be kind to you because God tells me to. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Take the parking place. Flip him off on the way as you walk away. There it is, God. I hope you're happy. I'm following your example. No. He wants it to truly come from you. Because your life has been changed. By receiving Jesus, His Holy Spirit can come into your life and take all that old sin nature and circumcise it and get it out of your heart. And now truly you can walk in love because you are loving. Jesus Christ died and rose again. His Holy Spirit lives in you. We now have direct access to the Father. Not as a hit and miss thing, but as a regular daily thing from the moment we wake up till we go to bed. We can be followers of God as dear children, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice and offering. God so loves the world. Jesus so loved us. He laid down his life for us. And now we should lay our lives down for one another as Christ has done for us. Interesting, John 3.16, you know that. Do you know John 1 John 3.16. It's a book right next to the Revelation, a separate book written by the same author, John. But in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Isn't that interesting? John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16, very similar. 1 John 3.16 says God did this the son did this and first john says now mimic be a follower of the same steps of god the father and his son jesus christ as god laid down his life we now should lay down our lives for the brethren in these last days that we live in guys 
we are in an uphill climb. We're at the last eight miles of a marathon and it's all straight uphill. <laughs> Listen to the generation we live in if it sounds familiar. I'd say go home and listen to the news and you'll see it's exactly like it says here, but it's too depressing. Don't do that. But in 2 Timothy, it describes the last days. See if we are not in the last days. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Why are they going to be perilous times? Number one, for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Listen to the last one. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you hear those three things? For men, number one, are lovers of themselves. Number two, they're lovers of money. Number three, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. All three of those things will bring destruction into a person's life. All three of those loves won't be, won't be a fruitful person, but a destructive person. But if we love God and love as God has loved us as dear children. In Psalms 144 verse 15, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Why are we becoming an unhappy nation when we used to be a happy nation? Because we used to be a nation where we proudly said, God is our Lord. They haven't taken it off our dollar bill yet, but I'm sure they're working on it. And God we trust, not in this dollar bill. Don't be a lover of money. In God we trust. In every courtroom, the word God and Ten Commandments, they've been taken out. The answer for America is not more money, not a better economy, not China having a slip and becoming less of a power. It's not Iran and the nuclear warfare. What's keeping us from being happy is that Christians aren't being Christians. And the world is getting swept up in the power of this satanic doctrines of demons in these last days where they are brutal, where they are without self-control, they're disobedient to their parents, they are unthankful, they are unholy, they're unloving, they're unforgiving, they're bitter, they're slanderers. It's these traits in human beings which is making us as Christians curl into our shell like a snail <laughs> rather than coming out into the world and being a greater light. Satan can't get more powerful. He can't get meaner. Satan's having success because we as the light are not shining as bright. Darkness hasn't gotten darker, but our nation has sure gotten darker. It's because believers need to come back and say, I'm going to be a follower of God once again. Don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near, it says in Hebrews. 
In these last days, you need to watch yourself and be in prayer. Get with those who seek God out of a pure heart and press in on him and seek the Lord. If we're going to make it in these last days. I can't think of a more fitting verse to end the sermon on. On this July 4th, 2021. 2 Chronicles 7:14. Here's a promise from God to us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. So notice there's three things there. Humble yourself. And he says, pray. Well, no, 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 no. I don't want you to get, you know, into this ritualistic dead prayer time. No, forget that. Forget the praying part. Seek my face. If my people will humble themselves. You know what we'll find? If we don't humble ourselves, God will bring circumstances to humble us. I think that's happening. I think we're being humbled. By darkness not only being more boisterous, but looking appealing. Where darkness looks more appealing than light. Where selfishness is looking more honorable than unselfishness. That's when a nation's turning. But if God's people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways, they may not be as wicked as the world, but they're not walking in the same pattern as Jesus. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There's a promise from God. Where does it all start? It starts right here in Ephesians 5. Come back to be the sheep of God. Come back to the fellowship of the saints. Come back to seeking God's face and pressing in on him. And we will pray. And, and he will hear from heaven and he will heal, heal our land. Let's have the band come on up. And we will close here with one more song. But as they're on their way up, I just want to give an opportunity for those here and those who are streaming, those who might hear the message 10 years from now during the tribulation period. To give an opportunity for you to receive the Lord. If you're needing Jesus to be the Lord of your life today, just right now in your heart, cry out, God, save me. Jesus, I believe you are my Savior. You can be my forgiver. Look upon my sins and cleanse me from all my sin. By your death and resurrection and the power of that resurrection, write my name in the book of life and give me eternal life. Fill me up now with your Holy Spirit. and Give me the power now to learn of you, to read the pages about you, and then to follow your example. To walk in that way of life and peace and light and joy and selflessness. Denying myself and putting everybody's interests before my interests. Everybody is more important than myself. I yield myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.